Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor, where we try to connect Sunday to the weekday. I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. This week, we're taking a deeper dive into Galatians 5 and the rollout of the new mission tag for the church, that is, uh, to expand Christ's community through relationship, discipleship, and worship. Uh, This was our first week in relationship, and uh, again, we're working in in Galatians chapter 5, which is kind of known for its laundry list. Um, If you know the fruit of the Spirit, it comes from that section. So, um, you know, Pastor Dean, we've been talking a lot about the the mission of the church. We've been talking a lot about um, what this means, and so what did you get out of out of what 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 I was discussing in in Galatians five, and then uh, and how that relates to kind of the future vision of the church. I think one of the first things you said, the way you started it off, relationships are not a byproduct of the gospel; they're essential to the gospel. And it seems like it's easy for us to forget that that we see relationships as as a result of our fellowship or a result of our mission or, or these other things that we're doing. And yet at its core, the church should be relationships and not just relationships, but relationships that are, are transformed by the gospel, by what, what Christ has done for us, by these things that we're called to by Paul, that our relationships within the church should look so different from the world around us. And yet I know in your research, that is very much not what you found. <laughs> you wouldn't be referring to that Barna, Barna uh, research that I... Just I, a little. Yeah, th- that was... Uh, we discussed that. If you don't know, go to... Uh, Barna does a, a great job on researching in the area of faith and life. And so they had this poll where they said that... Um, that of the people they interviewed who are non-Christians, 42%, I believe, of them said that one of their chief obstacles in believing in Christianity was the hypocrisy of the church. Um, and as we went through those numbers, because, um, uh, you know, Pastor Dean, you t- you like looking on the bright side of your thing. Well, there are some things that, you know, should be parsed out there. And then I started going to other things. Yeah. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, no. Yeah, I think... And I don't know if you have it right at your fingertips, but particularly significant was the number of people who claim Christianity who want nothing to do with the church, who think that the church is not a worthwhile institution, I think is the the phrasing. Uh, it, 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 yeah, that it's a faith that, that they respect. Only 48% of Christians identified Christianity as a faith they would respect. Yeah, that's a problem. And, and it, uh, it's only 15% of non-Christians view Christianity as a faith they can respect. Yeah. So so something needs fixed in our relationships. Yeah. Uh, 45% of Christians uh, say that Christianity has good values and principles. Uh, only 42% uh, say that it shows uh, love for other people. Only 43% define it as friendly. 37% define it as... Uh, generous, 30%, and this is of Christians. This is not of non-Christians. Yeah, so 52% of Christians say that Christianity does not show love to other people. And only 35% of Christians find it moral and ethical. (laughs) Oh my. We have a problem, church. We do. Church, we have a problem. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, and it's kind of staggering to hear the statistics and yet it's not new. It's not something I I don't, I wouldn't have put the percentages where they are, but these things are not mm. surprising to me. Like, what? We're viewed as hypocrites. I'm shocked. Not really. Um, and so our relationships with each other within the church, our relationships with people outside of the church, they're not, they're not showing the love of Jesus. I know I thought about that a lot. I had the privilege of officiating at a wedding and part of what I talked with the, the couple about and part of what I worked into my little message was the idea that other people will, you know, when you have a marriage rooted in Christ, and I think it can be extended to any relationship rooted in Christ, when that relationship is rooted in Christ, then others will know Jesus by by watching you, by watching your marriage, by watching your relationship with your parents or your children or the people around you. I would say especially the people who can't repay you for something, you know, that the places where you love people and are in relationship with people who can't do anything to advance your station and your status. Um, And that's a humbling thing to think that by looking at me in the way that I relate to other people, that that might show something of Jesus to other people. And we know from church history that that was one of the defining marks of the early church. Their, their generosity, their care for people not their own. In fact, I forget who it was. It was one of the, um, it was either a governor or it was the emperor uh, or a correspondence between the two where we actually see that, uh, I think it was correspondence from the emperor that, that complained that not only do Christians take care of their own poor, but they take care of our poor as well, it, lamenting the breakdown of the, the imperial cult. Um, and so this was um, along, you know, calling Christ Lord, um, a strict sexual ethic, and um, just a... a a fantastic generosity and love of people really defined the early church in ways that that were just amazing. Yeah. And we have documents of of non-Christians commenting on on how Christians exemplified these things. Yeah, and as we think about the church today and thinking back over where we've been in our preaching I think you know the way we deal with suffering in our relationships speaks to who God is. The way we the way we deal with conflict speaks to who God is. It, I mean in the way we and the way we deal with joy and celebrate and and those sorts of things. Like where is our focus? Where is our praise? Where is the credit for lack of a better term? You know, the way we approach these things in in subtle and overt ways demonstrates our faith for better or for worse and it's it's a humbling thing because I know you know I don't I certainly don't always want a microscope on me (laughs) um you know sometimes I get it right sometimes I get it very wrong but but it is something you know that I've 
that I think about from time to time. You know, the way I treat this person will influence how, especially people that know I'm a pastor, I'm a pastor, people that know I'm a Christian, mm. that, okay, you know, now I have a responsibility of, of demonstrating the love that I, I preach. Yeah. Practice what you preach kind yes. of thing. And, and they really do watch and they, uh, it, we talked about the fact that I forget whether it was Penn or Teller. Mm-hmm. I think it, um, Penn didn't have respect for, ch- for Christians who didn't try to share their faith. And I believe his phrase was, if you knew, a, if you thought a bus was coming to end my life and you didn't say anything, that's a bigger form of disrespect than if you would, you know, knock him out of the way and injure him in order to save him. So uh, it, very interesting there. And I, I want to address it because this is a, this is a, a really good thought that you bring up. You know, none of us are perfect. So we've got to deal with that tension in, in that respect, mm-hmm. because as we look at, we can go, okay, I, I'm not perfect. So, uh, gosh, I don't measure up to that, that I'm not fully fruity in the spirit. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I definitely have some of the works of, you know, especially that min- middle, um, grouping, the envy, the hatred, the fits of rage, the discord, the dissensions. Yeah. That's what I think where most people are going to go. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and that's why um, it's not having an instance of that. And it's not even having a couple instances. But as we look over the entire character of of who a person is and who a Christian community is, are they more defined by the fruit of the Spirit and growth in that? Or are they more defined by the works of the flesh? You know, one individual instant isn't going to necessarily redefine the community it's going to be what the community does in and out every day whether someone's looking or not yeah I know sometimes for me that means kind of examining my inner monologue because Mm. it, it you know it's quite easy to act loving and to even act patient um our you know our our jobs require that action in the public square requires that you know but even if I can if I can say oh no that's okay take all the time you need if in my head I mean hurry it up come on I have places to be you know that um that these things take a lot of of self work and and we can't expect our relationships to reflect these things unless we're willing to do that work individually and and within the relationship and to and and being honest and being critical self-critical of ourselves not to the point where it it paralyzes us but uh you know a lot in a lot of our discussions we've we've mentioned how you know no one can check all these things off Hmm. the list no one can say phew i've got the market cornered on peace yeah Um, you know there's always time to move on to forbearance yeah there's always room for growth and I I think you know examining our inner lives as well as our outer lives reminds us of that I know you know there there are not very many times where I would want someone to be able to read the thought bubbles over my head (laughs) you know as, as we do life together um yes 
I mean, you're hitting on a great point, and that's that's part of the reason, and I didn't have enough, this is why a, a follow-up is always good, because I did say that it takes time. Yeah. You know, developing these things takes time. One instance of patience does not make you patient. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, you know, before we get up, before we have our first cup of coffee, before we have whatever it is, what is our def- life defined by? What is our default state? What's the thing that we operate out of when no one's looking and when we don't have, our, we haven't had time to prep ourselves? Mm-hmm. Because I know our, my seventh grade reading teacher made us memorize the phrase, and I can't even remember who said it, but you know, character is who you are when, when no one is watching. Yeah. And, and I would apply that to our internal life as well. You had also mentioned too, and this hit the cutting room floor, but after, after these lists, after this list mm. of fruit of the spirit, um, the the contemporary English Bible um, uses the phrase, "There is no law against things like this," and even in with the negative, um, with the negative fruit, I guess, yeah. or, or negative qualities, the, the works of the the works of the, the flesh. flesh. Um, there's that same sort of phrase, you know, and things like this. So it's not as if we can check off the, the seven things here and say, we're good. Yeah. Uh, so verses 21 and 23, because as, as we read that, it's natural to read, uh, particularly on the works of the flesh. Um, it's, it's almost like Paul is getting modest <laughs> and he says, you know, uh, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I don't want to go describing, you know, yeah. but just these sorts of things. And we think it just can, that that phrase just refers to drunkenness and orgies. Um, am I going to have to turn the explicit rating on, on this? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Um, but uh, it's not. It refers to the entire phrase. So, so uh, envy and the like, mm-hmm. you know, anything in that channel. What he, what Paul is trying to say is that that those lists are not exhaustive. Yeah. So like, this is not the definitive list of characteristics of being in the flesh. This is not the definitive list of characteristics of producing the fruit of the spirit. Um, and so we can't use it as rigidly as a checklist, but we have to understand it as, as guardrails. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think knowing, knowing that the categories might be broader than than just what the words that are printed here, we do have to think about our relationships in the church and are they, you know, uh, are there factions? Are there cliques? Are there, um, is there discord? Even if it's not overt, is it, you know, is it subversive? Is it whispers in the, you know, in the, at the coffee time or conversations mm. in the parking lot or... Or just even who organizes at coffee times yeah. or whatnot. You know, it has the it, even though the word click isn't there, I, that seems like it fits in uh, with factions. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know. I think to... And I think the church is particularly... I think churches particularly struggle with this. They're not the only organization. I know as my kids have gone through elementary school and into different clubs and stuff you know you hear invitations to join in you hear invitations for your participation but then sometimes when you you take that step it's pretty clear like oh I, I don't I don't belong here I'm not mm, yeah really a part 
of this or or there's a sense of you know come and do things but do them exactly the way we think you know make sure you conform to us don't don't expect this relationship to go two ways and I think that's as we ask whether our relationships are being transformed by the gospel that we do have to remember it's a two-way thing I can't just expect you to be patient with me without me being patient with you as you learn and grow too. Yeah. Um, that That's a fantastic point because a lot of churches do. And I've seen this, um, uh, you have a you have a lot of years of experience here. I I got a, a lot of um, experience in my years yeah. <laughs> through. Uh, I worked on a regional committee that dealt with the the churches and pastors and 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 that was difficult. So a lot of times this comes from from the, uh, from that experience. But in getting to see the different churches, the, most churches do just want someone to come in and operate the machinery the way they've been operating it for however many years, mm-hmm. almost like it's a Model T factory or something. Um, and that's, it's a great point that the community shouldn't be demanding it of the outside world without demanding it of themselves first. Yeah. And I do wonder if, if some of those flaws in, in the church and, and in human relationships in general, or what lead to labels like hypocrites, you know, like, well, they say they want me to be a part and they want my ideas, but they don't really, really, they just want me to do it. They say they want to be in relationship with me, but only as long as I conform to what they think a good Christian or a good soccer mom or a good whatever is. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, as you said, you know, we have a, we have an image problem and kind of have to reckon with why is this the case? And we, Part of that is as we evaluate our relationships, you know, you had talked a bit about um, but not necessarily evaluating ourselves on qualitative, the ABCs. concrete, yeah. Um, Attendance buildings and contributions, if you didn't hear the sermon. And so as we, as we move away from that, there, that, that leads to a lot of questions. It leads to a lot of, um, it's a little more nebulous. Mm-hmm. And I think too, as we, as we do those things, then, you know, when we move to evaluating experience and relationship, we have to think about the, the variety of experiences. Like what if I walk in to a, a church and feel welcome and included and and like I fit in here and and people are friendly and and they want me here and then you walk in on the same Sunday and it's not that people aren't friendly they've greeted you the same as you've as they've greeted me but you you're you don't have that same experience of being welcome and supported and and lifted up so how do we how do we reckon with that and how do we evaluate those things as we're all transformed by the gospel. I, I, I'm really glad that you brought this up because it, it is a serious question. Um, and, and two different, um, I, let me start off with this. Um, we have to become comfortable with uncomfort. 
mm-hmm. with discomfort. Um, because it's very easy, like you said, to count the number of people. Mm-hmm. And every time I have worked to get a more quant, uh, um, it would be qualitative, uh, not quantitative, uh, a more qualitative uh, metric, people, uh, particularly church elders, get really, really uncomfortable because, well, I, I don't know what's going on in their mind. I don't know what's going on in their heart. Okay, I understand that to a certain degree, but some some of that is just a, a baseline discomfort with actually getting involved in people's lives. Um and that's, I mean, transfer internal transformation is where, where this happens. If we're just the outside performative, then we have that trouble with the hypocrisy. Then we have that trouble where people are like, yeah, you perform well at the church, but man, you get out and you go to, you go to, to five guys or someplace and you are the most dour, awful person on the face of the earth. And so it's difficult to actually, you have to be engaged with people. You have to have enough trust and rapport to actually evaluate those things yeah and i think that's especially important as you realize that by stepping away from the quantitative kinds of of data that that it's harder to gauge success it's harder and 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 success doesn't look like the world's terms and so it's much easier to say look how faithful that church is they you know they grew by 700 members in three years or um or or look at what they're producing and it's much harder when when we don't have those worldly kinds of of things to to evaluate and and if we're not careful then it it kind of leads into prosperity gospel territory when we think like well if we're faithful enough then we'll grow and then we'll have enough in our offering plate and so I think churches and pastors especially have to reckon with you know what does it mean to be faithful even if the numbers go down even if the there's not enough in the offering plate or not as much as we would expect like are we still going to trust that God will show up and meet our needs and 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 sustain the church, but but maybe not in a way that, that looks familiar to us or is comfortable to us. And that relates back to asking the question, what are we attaching to our idea of success? Mm-hmm. Is the Because there has been research lately that shows that average church attendance has dropped from three to four Sundays a month to two Sundays a month. Are, are we saying that success is getting that number up because we can do that in different ways. It doesn't mean that we're actually making disciples. And that's part of what this vision rollout is, of course, is what are we going to to use as metrics? And we have a lot of imaginative gridlock when it comes to what is it? Because if we start getting into those qualitative questions, people do get really skittish really fast. And like, mm-hmm. I don't want to judge. I'm not supposed to judge. I don't want to judge. We are supposed to discern. We are supposed to to look after the health of the community much in the same way that a parent looks after the health of their children. Yeah, I think the big difference is that we're not judging 
in a way to show you where you've fallen short or show you where you're lacking or where you're struggling. We're, you, you know, our judgment should come from a place of, of wanting to help. I can see you struggling with this. Oh, you're not sure about that aspect of, of the faith. You're questioning that these things, how can I come alongside and support you as you work through these things, as you grow, as you develop these fruit, like, oh, you know, you struggle with, with envy. Like, how can I be a part of your growth towards health mm-hmm. and not in a, well, you didn't get it right kind of way. Yes. That's, as you're saying this, I'm thinking too, the fact that, that we may be uncomfortable in the sense of that that's related to our individualism where we've taught, you know, you take care of yourself mm-hmm. and so on. And, and, you know, is it biblical to think that Paul was saying this about individuals? Yeah. It, I know I've even heard that argument extended to our faith in general. We so often focus on a, a person personally accepting Jesus into their heart and mm-hmm. having a personal relationship with God. And I don't think we can throw all of that away. And I don't think the scriptures call us to either because Paul spends plenty of time saying, hey, just because you call yourself a Jew doesn't mean you're actually being faithful. You know, just because you have the outward signs, the physical signs, that doesn't mean anything. So there is a personal aspect, but it's not just that. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Yeah. And that's why relationships are so important. I mean, that goes back to the beginning that that relationships aren't just a a fun byproduct of the work of the church and the work of the gospel, but they are essential to it. Like our relationships aren't just there so that we can provide casseroles when someone (laughs) is struggling. Like they should be the very foundation of, of the way we present our faith to others. Yes. Yes. And that's, I think that's something that we can take a cue from the global church on. Um, it, because we we have set ourselves up as so individualistic and and so you've made the point a number of times that that these things ha- do have to be out, lived out at a personal level before they can then be extend, extended to the community and so it's a both and we've got mm-hmm. we've got both got to grow uh, we've both have to grow individually in these different things and that's going to look different for each person so you know, you look out, out around the congregation, you know, you the problems are different and they're going to manifest themselves in different ways. And as we come together as a community, they're going to manifest themselves. And so we've got to work on ourselves first and then work on ourselves as a community. Yeah. And I, I think that is the key to not being a hypocrite and, you know, to, to be willing to do the work personally before or at minimum at the same time as I call others around me to grow and change and mature too. And I think if if the church did that in humility, then I think some of these hypocritical claims would go away, that, that there would be an authenticity and a humility and a, a gentleness and a, pac- pa- a patience, much like... Paul was calling us to. Hmm. Funny. Yeah. But that's a, 
and that gets us back to the vision rollout. It's not just to harp on the bad things, but also paint a picture. You know, what would it look like for a church to actually live into this? And very specifically, we're thinking about our congregation. What would it look like for our congregation to live into this sort of mindset, this sort of identity? And how would that affect the relationships within the congregation? Um, it, you know, it's it would be wonderful to pick picture a community where, as it said in Acts, you know, they are they ate and they ate and drank together with glad and sincere hearts, and and that sincere meaning uh, single or simple, mm-hmm. not duplicitous. There aren't other things going through, but an area like when you go with your best friend, and and even if they you haven't been together in years, you can pick up where you left off. And there's trust and there's warmth and there's affection. A community of people like that, that I can get behind. Yeah. And I, so often our, our comment to people is, oh, you should come join our church. You know, we could use another person in the choir. We could use another person in the, on the committee. You'd be great at this. As opposed to, you know, outside of the business world and working relationships, we don't really do that. We associate with people that that complement and strengthen and, and show us our, our better side and, and we enjoy being with. Yeah. And to me, there, there is true joy in that and, and accountability and growth. And I think, you know, if the church were to reclaim these sorts of relationships, then I think it would turn heads because you know, right now what's turning heads is the hypocrisy, is the mm. scandal, is the um, the the injustice between what, uh, you know, a mega church pastor is able to do in terms of resources versus what the average member of his or her congregation is able to do. Um, you know, the, the it is the 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 hypocrisy that's that's turning heads and yet if if churches were to reclaim this authentic relationship i think others would say i want that i want mm. that kind of place to go when i'm suffering to bring back our our podcast from a couple weeks ago i want that place to go to ask questions to to celebrate to um you know i as i officiated at the wedding this weekend i mean i think that's one of the the most spectacular things um, especially being up front and looking out at the crowd and saying like, look at all the way, look at the way that all these people have come together to celebrate this couple and to lift them up and support th- them. Mm. And that there's something special about that that I, I think reflects God's love for us. And the church should be that. Like We should be a, a community of people that have come together and support one another and love one another and rebuke one another gently and <laughs> faithfully, you know, the, and it shouldn't be a, I'm okay. You're okay. Whatever you're doing, you know, it's fine. It's not my place to judge you. I mean, there can be rebuke and correction and, and calling to something better and different. And if, if we do it right, then doesn't mean there's not pain in the midst of it or struggle but if we do it right, then the prayers that other people will look and say, that's the kind of community I want. Those are the kind of relationships 
I want. That's mm. the kind of person I want to be. I know a phrase you've said it a bunch of times on the the podcast. You know, a life of intrigue, a, an organization of intrigue, where where it does truly reflect God's character for us. That that would be fantastic. Yeah, I know. I wrote down. You know, one of one of my favorite verses. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a life verse, but it's it's one. Um, maybe it's one that I keep coming back to, but it, it comes from the Psalms and it's kind of tucked in there. Psalm 69 and the Psalm itself is that, um, you know, the, the Psalmist is writing about how the enemies are all around, the deep waters are engulfing, but the prayer, which is the verse that stands out to me, it says, Lord, the, the Lord almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, God of Israel. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. Mm. And and it just reminds me over and over again that the people are looking at me to see who God is. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't get it right all the time, but but that's it's a humbling verse. And and I mean for me, the the genuine prayer of my heart that that at minimum I wouldn't I wouldn't deter people from the gospel. You <laughs> it's know? like the Hippocratic Oath, do yeah. no harm. Yeah. You know, that's that's the baseline. Do do no harm. Um you brought up uh, a wedding and and that's a good as we talked about the fact that these lists are not exhaustive lists. A, a natural place to go for the community dynamics that we're looking for is in 1 Corinthians 13, that passage that gets used all the time at weddings but has nothing to do with romantic love. Mm-hmm. Well, not nothing. But it's very little. It, it's not written with romantic love as the, the primary audience. But it's, you know, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't uh, uh, delight in, in, in... Evil. It doesn't keep records of wrongs. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. And if we think about that as a guide for our communities... I mean, churches have fantastically long memories for who has wronged whom. Oh, yeah. And it has, uh, you know, fantastically long memories about, well, we're the church that's good about this. And this is, you know, this is our thing. And and being territorial and so on and so forth. And as we look at 1 Corinthians, you go, wow, that, that, there's some, this doesn't, this doesn't fit with the picture of 1 Corinthians. Yeah, you know, thinking about keeping a record of wrongs. The church where I did my field education in seminary, one of our assignments was to to talk to people and get the story of the church. And so, and I hadn't been there very long, maybe three months tops. Um, and so I was talking to people and, and heard about this church merger and about them using this building and, and something happened in the the wrong number of people showed up at the meeting on the wrong day. And so this building got picked and not that one. However, it, it came down, but like there was some real pain around that. And so mm. I went to my supervisor and said like, oh, you know, this merger, when did it happen? It must've been fairly recent. And he's like, no, it was 45 years ago. Oh, you know, that the, the pain surrounding these people didn't show up and these people swallowed up our ministry and we had to go with their building because they had the better organ or whatever the the reasoning was <laughs> but the the pain of that was still so real and I thought, oh my goodness like 45 years that's that's yeah. a long time i mean you're gonna have to get over it <laughs> at some point 
Um, I there was a church that I was involved in that it was a when they went to two services they decided one was going to have the choir and one was going to be a bit more contemporary and the choir didn't get the one the service they wanted and oh man it, it was like someone had had melted down the crucifix or something yeah. um the the cross or something and and you go oh my goodness is this really what's going to define us yeah and we we let that we do let those things define us instead of these things that Paul calls us to. Yeah. And, a, and that's why we get, you know, 52% of Christians not really respecting the faith. So, you know, that gets into, you know, how do we then correct that? And I think if we, if we start looking and saying, all right, let's look at our language. If we start talking about us and them, you know, mm-hmm. well, they or he or she, you know, talking about talking about people in the third person, you know, that's probably a good way to tell that we're not all on the same team. Whereas, you know, places that are say, well, we do this and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it has a bit more cohesive. If we look at ourselves as a, as a cohesive unit, um, not a divided unit, if there, if there aren't camps being set up, if there aren't those, those back channels yeah. That pre-discuss issues. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a major thing. Um, and part of, um, and I forget whether this was Paul or Jesus, but, you know, anything that is subjected to the light and still stands is is yeah. good. And, and we want to bring things out into the light. We want to to make sure that, that we're able to be open and honest with people, that we can say, you know what, I have trust in our elders. They are godly men and women who want the best for the church. Mm-hmm. I think that trust word, I think is an important one in our relationships in the church and in our individual relationships too. But do we really trust that this person has my best interest at heart? I know we had talked as we were getting ready for the podcast about, you know, who are safe people to go to, to, to reveal our, struggles to reveal our hearts to reveal the sin in our lives and the the difficult things that we encounter and you know the the list of not safe people was really long because there <laughs> there was kind of this underlying sense of like I can't really trust that that they're going to be able to set aside their other responsibilities or their the you know the the jealousy or the temptation to gossip or whatever it, you know that trust is is a hard thing to come by and I think I think a church that trusts one another would change the world and and I'm I mean not I think and at any time a group of people comes together I think that's really hard and we hear it on sports teams and in in boards and in PTOs you know that 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 trust that that we're all working together for the same outcome I think is rare that that our individual wants and desires and advancements and priorities and um, use of resources can crowd out our judgment some some leadership people would define those as the difference between real friends and deal friends yeah the people that you get along with 
because you're working at some external target together, but you don't have a genuine relationship with them outside of that. Work friends tend to be deal friends because you're trying to work towards something. Yeah. Uh, real friends are the ones that, <laughs> who, who was it that I, I heard speaking and they said, um, uh, real friends are the ones that I call and say, Hey, I, I released a new book and they say, that's fine. Yeah. And I say, do you want to buy it? And they say, no, <laughs> <laughs> when are we going fishing next? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, those people who care, care about you, that, that care about your person. And so are we there because we're, we're just gathered around a common external element and we have no real connection or are we there because we are deeply connected and, and the gospel is something that is supposed to be deeply connecting us as we, as we go through the process of sanctification of becoming more like Christ and people who, who can look beyond the, the surfacey things and say, Oh, that's nice that you did that, but how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When are we going to spend time together? Um, they don't like you for what you can provide. They like you for your presence. Yeah. And, you know, it occurred to me as we've been talking, if someone listened to this without knowing us, without knowing our hearts, they would think we kind of hate the church. And that's, that's not <laughs> true. Far from it. Yeah. That's not true at all. And I, and I think our specific church shows a lot of these fruit. And, and I know and have been a part of other churches that have shown these fruit. But I also think that, um, uh, that we have ways to go individually. Again, I mean, it's an individual level. It's a local church level. It's a community church level. And I know in the next couple of weeks, we'll get into how we interact with other churches that aren't our mm. church. And, um, you know, that, that it's a, it's a ground up kind of thing where that, where there's always work to do, even though we, you know, we see beautiful image of is of that even now it's that already not yet there's still work to do but but christ is here and the spirit is at work among us as well absolutely the the i i find the vision the biblical vision of the church really compelling Mm -hmm. i switched over to to john 17 where jesus is praying for himself he prays for his disciples and he prays for all believers and he said uh, he's talking about, uh, he references his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. And then he goes into, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, this, this idea of relationships that aren't fraught with anxiety or fear or wondering or duplicity Mm -hmm. is just so compelling and i mean that's that's my heart for the church yeah yeah and mine too it kind of reminds me of you know the popular saying right now you know if if you can be anything be kind or you know be the kind kid be the Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's kind of the call of the church too like if if we can be anything, be like Jesus and let let these ABCs of evaluation go. Let the worry about how the machine machinery of the church or the 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 um, 
all of the, the assets of the church, the building, let all that go. Not, I mean, still be a good steward of what you have, mm. but hold them loosely. Yeah, hold hold them loosely and and don't let those distract you from reflecting these fruits of the spirit, reflecting this First Corinthians kind of love to the world around us. What a what a compelling vision for mm-hmm. for a church, for any church. And that's where, you know, we have colleagues that really love the Presbyterian church. Yeah. But my heart is for the church in general, for believers to come to this understanding. It just so happens I work through the Presbyterian world. Maybe not well, yeah. <laughs> but but that's just where I've been placed uh, to try to to move the needle on that part of 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 our faith. Yeah, and I think you know, as I think about the Presbyterian Church versus other kinds of churches, you know, I think the structure of the Presbyterian Church to me helps prevent against some of these things, like that because we're accountable to people outside of our individual congregation, because we have a group of people discerning together God's will instead of one or two individuals at the top doing all the the vision setting, because we share in the responsibility. Um, You know, it's that model to me that, that helps us get closer to some of these things. And, and also reminds us, um, that, that the, the, the form of government itself is not like there, there are many forms of government that an organization, a church can use and be successful, but these are the things that will set us apart from the rest of the world. The, this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, those things. For sure. For sure. And that's, I mean, that's the hope that I have every week going yeah. to the pulpit. Did it matter? Did did you want to become more like Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, but, as we go into vacation Bible school, I mean, that that is my prayer. Like, will you hear that God loves you and will you see that love demonstrated by the volunteers, by the, the effort that we put in, by the, the scriptures? You know, will you see the love of God through the, the work of this church and and know that God loves you and and desires desires you and desires you to have these things and have these relationships that are life-changing. Yeah. Wow. Again, I think this is a a good week. I hope I'm my hope is that we really do reset to a vision that that allows us to to um have more mature disciples, you know, expanding mm-hmm. Christ's community in that way that we can have more people come to know the peace of Jesus Christ and, and, and to be a community that exhibits to the world, what it means to have Christ at the center. Um, and to have that, that judgmental eye turned into a longing. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be, I mean, that is the prayer. Yeah. So, well, I think we've, we've, hit well we we hit everything we're gonna hit for today yeah. <laughs> let's put it that way we haven't hit everything but we have we hit everything we're gonna hit um so uh as we wrap up here again if you found this episode helpful if you found the series helpful if you haven't actually give us some feedback um but if you have would you leave a rating and review and share it so that others can discover um this podcast and and 
be brought into the conversation so that they can know that that the gospel changes everything, that, that a relationship with Jesus Christ transforms lives. Uh, also, click the subscribe button whenever, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we really appreciate it. But until next time, I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And we hope that this helps you connect Sunday to the weekday. Have a good one.